Good story. Really? All right, we are live, and I know that uh, Mr. Krigger and Mr. Lovis are already anxious to get started since they've left some snarky comments. Oh, man. All right, so <coughs> lesson 57. <clears throat> what about me? Hebrews 11. So uh, what, what, what's your thoughts on Hebrews 11? One sentence. Good stuff, bad stuff. Good stuff. It's about faith. It? It's about faith. What about faith? Really? Uh, faith in the unseen? Mm. Well, what I wrote in my thoughts was uh, this chapter of Hebrews is the most interesting, mainly because it mentions by faith more than once throughout the chapter. Yeah, how many times? Bunches, right? Bunches, yes. Which goes to show if we as a nation or people would have faith in God, miraculously it would happen. Amen. What do we have in Hebrews 11 that is unique in the Bible? A history lesson? I think so. Based on geography? Based on geology? Based on belief? Or based on people? Oh, well, yeah, right. but it's tied together, I believe. Right. But the whole idea is you've got a history lesson just naming people. First Abel, then Enoch, then Noah, then Abraham, then Jacob. Isaac, yeah. No, I think he skipped Isaac, didn't he? Then no, you go to Jacob, then Joseph. I think he said Isaac, Jacob. You got them together? Yeah, Isaac, Jacob. So the patriarchs are there. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're looking through a, a history of our faith through the people who've demonstrated that faith, right? Um, so my question is, what is the faith? Because I did not notice this before, but this year, reading through this chapter, I happened to see <coughs> um, that one of the groups of people encountered in the faith is an interesting one. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. What's interesting about that is that traditionally, this Hebrews 11 has been interpreted as, as sort of like all of the, uh, the pre-New Testament Christians. You know, these are all the different people who had faith, and their whatever, and, and that was um, evidence of a history of, people, of believers before the cross you want to call it that. Um, but this is an interesting one because in talking about the people of Israel that came out of the Red Sea, um, I, do, I do agree that, that some of them definitely had a permanence in their faith, but it's the same generation that ultimately would die in the wilderness for a lack of faith, and they're actually used as the example of they will not enter my rest in Hebrews. So my question is, have we tried too hard to make this faith a quote-unquote saving faith? Or is it that maybe there's more nuance than that? I think there's more nuance than that. Because what do we know about the number? Is it 23 or is it 42? 23. 23. Tell me about 23. The number 23? The number 23. I think it's 23. How many flavors in Dr. Pepper? Lamed Va. <laughs> oh, you're thinking 36. Hey, 
<laughs> Amazingly enough, you almost put the, the middle there. Okay, so, <laughs> so 36. 36. Okay, 36 righteous men. Right. Okay. What about those righteous men? Well, tradition is that the world continues because of them. Is preserved because of them. That there is always a righteous man. And we've got countless stories in the Talmud about a town that is saved from all kinds of plague because of a righteous man in that town or a righteous woman who's constantly using her oven to bake bread for other people and allowing them to use her oven. And a fire breaks out and burns down everything but their town because of the flame in her oven, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't, I don't think we need to split hairs over, you know, was it really saving faith? Was it good faith? Was it bad faith? Was it everybody, you know, as much as there was saving faith there. Would you? Well, I definitely think it, at that? least some of these, you could definitively say that. I would, I would, I would say. say. I would say most. At least some. Most. Okay, at least most. Um, yeah. I got but to at that least was most. The, that was the question that I had is, could you say all, and then, because one of the things that's interesting about the Book of Hebrews, and really about the Apostle Scriptures in general, is that there is definitely, I would say, a, um, and almost like an internal, not a debate, but points on both sides of the aisle about whether or not um, the once saved, always saved doctrine is necessarily true, or if it's more the, the faithful stay faithful through their life, but some of them have a spiritual experience at some point, and then it fades away. That's a great question, but I'm not going to take it tonight. Okay. Because that will distract us from Hebrews 11. That's <clears throat> What's the point of Hebrews 11? In, in, in a nutshell, just your own words, give it a shot. Uh, the promise of Messiah was as a result of uh, hierarchy of faith or lineage of faith. Okay, okay, that's good. Continually passed down. Okay. Preserved. What's faith? A system of belief. Hmm. Faith is belief in yeah. God that He is. That he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I love it when you quote it. <laughs> Yeah, that was cheating. Conviction, <laughs> the conviction of things not seen, right? Yeah. All right, so I, th I think the author is trying to say, <clears throat> well, let me, let me put it this way. Joshua and I boxed together. Hebrews 11 is setting the guy up for the punch. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. It's propping him up, getting him ready, and setting him up for that killer punch. You claim to have faith. That's why you're reading this book. That's why you're reading the letter. We just went through how Yeshua is better than angels. He's better than the priesthood. He's got a tabernacle. He's got a better covenant. He's better, 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 better. Jesus is better. Yeshua's top shelf. You got to go with Yeshua. Now, get to Hebrews 11. Man. Abel, what a better sacrifice he had than his brother Cain. And Enoch, 
I walked with God. He's gone. Noah, how many years building a boat? Oh my goodness. And no grass. And then Abraham. Boat takes up a lot of room. And then Abraham. Leave. Leave your family. Somebody tells me to leave my family. Are you nuts? I'm all about family. Leave your family. Got some land for you. I'll tell you about it when you get there. I beg your pardon? <laughs> I have land. Yeah, right? <laughs> and it goes down and down and down. But it's a setup. Because what's the end result? All these people from, not the cross. Where does Christianity start? Christianity started at the cross. Well, it started with the birth of Yeshua. Okay, all those sound cool, but they're all wrong. The author of Hebrews is saying that Christianity, if you want to call it that, started at creation. And it's been there all along, and the faith that we have is the same faith that they had in Abraham. By faith! did this. This guy, by faith, did this. All the way down until we get to the cross. So what's what's the bottom line? I really enjoyed um, verse 26. And I talk about Moses, which I would say is the same as Abraham. You're asking, mm-hmm. if someone asks you to leave your family, are you nuts? But in 26, um, Moses was considering the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, leaving the sin behind. He was a prince. He had, he had it all. But considering the treasures of Egypt, lesser, for he was looking to the, to the reward. What he had currently, the treasures he had currently, that was nothing. And That was bronze. And, and the, Yeshua was the gold. And yet the writer of Hebrews says it's, it's not some kind of Jewish weirdness. No. It was a Messiah. Mm-hmm. He had a higher calling that he exactly. sensed. He knew. Exactly. In the same way that Moses hit you, Abel hit me. Abraham hit him. Enoch hit him. Noah hit him. Now I have a question, though. And Joshua may have hit on it, but um, at the very end, in 39, and all, these, and, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So I was wondering, are we talking about Messiah there? Or was it also, like he was saying, we are. Joshua it's the was same promise. About, it's the same promise. Jews were promised. Well, but they what, are you wait, what are you waiting on right now? You should have come. What are they waiting on? You should have come. They didn't receive the promise. See, and I was thinking, were they? was it the promise of the land? And, and that's where kind of Joshua was talking about because of they had faith, lost faith. Had faith. I don't know if that was what they're talking about. Work. It was Messiah. It's Messiah. It's been Messiah all along. My take on this chapter is it's the same rhetorical approach that he's had to the entire book. So the end of chapter ten ends with, you know, you guys don't don't shrink back, don't give up, don't lose your faith. So this chapter is let's talk look about at faith. all of the people who have kept faith over the millennia how much they endured, how hard they worked, what they did. And they went through all of that. They were rewarded by God. And they weren't even in the same place that we are in terms of the, receiving the promise. We've seen Messiah. We know who he 
is. We know what that is. And it's like, if you've got all of that, you should go way beyond what these guys did. So don't don't get to a place where it's like, oh man, it's so hard. I just give up. I can't do it anymore. It's like... But what's the sucker punch? He's setting him up for the punch. What's the punch, Joshua? It's not in chapter 11. Therefore, How does chapter 12 start? Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of We got all these people that have been waiting and still never got it. You never got it? Keep waiting. If you've got faith, then just hang on. He's coming back. Whether in my time, in your time. These guys wait a whole heck of a lot longer than you. They didn't get the promise. They died before the promise. You may die before the promise. We're going to get into it later. You know, if you haven't shed blood, stop whining. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know? It's going to get tough. But the bottom line is you need to, you need to buck up and you need to wait. Because he is coming back. They were waiting for the promise. I, you know, um, Isaac brought up his favorite one there. My favorite one, I think, uh, if I can find it. From 11? Yeah, no, 39, 40. <clears throat> God has provided something better for us. Who's the us? Can't be, can't be believers, right? Because the whole book's about believers. Who's the us? Everybody, the people, Hoshaban. No, can't be. Well, why would it be Jews? It's not Jews. Building now. Yeah. Say again. It's the believers that are living now. It's, a, it's the guys who are reading this while, you know, while the writer is still alive. It's the ones he's writing to physically. He says, God has provided something better for us that apart from us, without us, everybody I just wrote about would not be completed. They wouldn't get the promise without us. Say that again. Everybody that I just talked about from Enoch all the way around the walls yes. would not be completed, would not get that promise, would not be, yeah, without us. Because we're the ones. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse uh, 13. For we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with those who? The dead in Messiah. And we will be raised. The dead in Messiah will be raised first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. He's saying they won't get the final redemption. They won't get the resurrection without us. We're part of the plan. Now, the odd thing is, he wrote that back there 2,000 years ago, and you we're can us. say exactly the same thing. We're the us. It can't happen without us. The, the generation who is alive when Messiah comes back, that's the generation Hmm. that is holding on to the promise. And that's the ones that need to be faithful. 
when Messiah comes, will he find any faith on the earth? That's the question. Well, yeah, because at least the six of us will be here. There will at least be two. So that's right. Us. That's right. <laughs> you know, so that's the deal. I, I like that part. And I just, I, yeah. And you're right, it is quite the setup because he's basically, he walks them through all of these historical legends and then, and, and basically kind of gets them all feeling, right, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, should, yeah. I should be like that. I, I should can, step up. I can do that. And then he finishes, because it's all one letter. It's not broken up by chapters. Right. right. So he finishes in verse 2 of chapter 12. Looking to Yeshua, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So basically, throughout the, the whole experience, he's, he's, he's doing exactly what you said. He's saying, these guys endured, and they didn't see the promise, just like you don't see the promise right now. Right. But they made it, That's and right. God rewarded them. That's right. You can do the same, but the one that you really should be trying to follow is Yeshua. And they talk I mean, once again, Hebrews is doing this again. Top shelf, like those How guys. How much more did he right, endure? Those guys had amazing faith, and they went through unbelievable things. But him, whoa! And he did it all, and he was given the ultimate reward. Yeah. And so the the idea is, you know, it's like it's almost like if he can do it. He's left no excuse for you not to. Yeah. I, I see two sucker punches in chapter 12. The first one is, just before we get there, that we just read. They're, they, they were great. They were so great, their names are in the Bible. Is your name in the Bible? Come on, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. But they it's still did. But they still did. <laughs> They still didn't get the reward because you need to be there. And the second sucker punch is what Joshua just went through. You, you think you got it bad? Are you bleeding? Yeah. No? Stop whining. <laughs> you lost a limb yet. You've been yeah, sawed down. That's right. Come on. Right. What are you whining about? Right? Right? anything yet. That's right. It's interesting. He actually flips it on its head after that in chapter 12. And this I, I had never read this this way before. I really... Going through the study has been very good because it's been so long since I read these things. It's almost like coming at them with fresh eyes yeah, and trying yeah. to basically say, let's pretend like I've never heard anything about this ever before and try to read it now. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that he talks about is the discipline of God. Yeah. But see, I've Verse always five. interpreted discipline of God as, as implying you do something bad and God you know, disciplines you. He doesn't punish you because you're his son. He disciplines you so that you'll grow and get better. And that's not really what he's talking about here. He quotes from Proverbs uh, when he says, My son, do not regard like the discipline of the Lord. Yeah. Um, and there, I believe in that passage, there may be some reference to the idea of like a discipline for punishment. But this context, the discipline is more the idea of, um, in one of the Psalms of the day, I think it's the Wednesday Psalm, I can't remember which one it is right now, it talks about this idea, it's like, um, like something like, Blessed the man who the Lord disciplines. You teach him from his Torah. And the idea is, what, what Hebrews here is saying is that your hardships you're going through are good. They're, they're, not, they're not bad things you just need to get, like, grit your teeth and get through. God is using them to make you into Amen. a better person. That's exactly right. And you need to, therefore, rather than 
than giving up in the midst of them, you should almost embrace, embrace it. it. Yes. Yeah, almost like you know, you're like this morning. You and I are doing the how many sit up and thinking to ourselves that our stomach's going to split right open right there right. on the, right. the gym floor. And but doing it anyway. Yes. Because we knew that the reward was worth it, that's and right. that's kind of the same idea he's getting at here. I agree, a hundred percent. That's exactly right. I would say, in life in general, those who, I think, if you look at those who are the ultra successful, mm-hmm. you probably find at least 50% of them, and I would probably guess 75% of them, either come from broken homes or just from really tough backgrounds. Very seldom do you find people who are successful in any walk of life silver spoon. have a silver spoon. The ones with a silver spoon never knew and therefore never strive for something greater. I think those who have experienced hardships... They're better men. Well, we all come myself personally I think we are all accustomed to getting closer to God when things sure. are the difficult trials. in our life yeah, absolutely that's that's what is there to make us better it's to sharpen our stone but I, but I think Joshua was correct here I mean when I sin especially when I sin deliberately which as I get older I notice is you know praise God happening a little bit less but when I sin, I expect to be reproved by God. And if I'm chastened by Him, I, I can work with that. But you're at a different level. It's a different type of walk. When you recognize that the hardship you're going through is not because of your sin. It's because God wants to work with you. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I do that to my engineers. I hire men. <laughs> sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I hire men that don't know anything about IT, and I have to teach them IT. And we'll get a call from a client. I know exactly what the problem is. I also know exactly what the answer is. And I know the client. And I'll call the client, and I'll tell them. I know what the problem is. I know what the answer is. I need you to bear with me as I train an engineer. And I've done this so many times, they just start giggling on the other end of the phone. I hang up. Can I talk to the person and tell them, sorry for what they're about to do? <laughs> and I just, I'll, I'll take the, the young engineer and I'll throw him in the deep end of the pool. Splash around all you need to. Go down and cough and sputter all you want. I'm here if you need, but I feel that you can solve this problem. And my, they don't know it, but my client is willing to be patient while you learn because there's no better way to learn. That's what God is doing with us here. He loves us so much, has recognized our faithfulness, and is willing to work in our lives to make us godly men. That's I think later in life, when you can look and say, but I can honestly say that almost every challenge in my life, I've looked back after the challenge is over and recognized that I actually grew through it and it was good. And It's know, painful I, as it is. Yeah, right, right. And, and it, but when you know that you have not sinned and that God 
is choosing to discipline you so that he might refine you and make you a better man so that he can polish those rough edges off of you. That's a, that's a faith walk like you don't normally get. That's when you're drawing near to the Holy One, blessed is he. And you recognize him as a, a truly as a father rather than as just a king. And I think that's exactly where, where the Master's coming from in this part. Um, it's like when, they, uh, um, when I was looking for work a number of years ago, um, and it taking a lot longer than I wanted it to, which was delaying my getting married, which was very difficult. Uh, one of the things my, my dad told me was, it's kind of paraphrasing here, but something to the effect of, like the saddest situation is someone who is suffering mm. because it's has purpose and if you spend your time feeling sorry for yourself or being angry at God or whatever it might be then you don't reach purpose and it's truly a waste yeah. and then that's, and that is truly tragic because yeah. that's not what it's meant to be that's right yeah. that's exactly right that's, that's great wisdom there yeah. Cool. All right. It's a, a great uh, intro to uh, to this. Um, I laid it out in the study guide. There, there. Obviously, you saw men of faith in Messiah Yeshua before Abraham. Yes, and he lists the same men of faith in Messiah Yeshua after Abraham, but before the Torah. And then after the Torah. And before the cross. But all before the cross. Okay, I added before and then after the turn to the reminders. <laughs> That's good. That's it, good. He it was supposed that. to be a reminder. Yeah. I don't know when he's going to remind me of that. But that's, uh, <laughs> that's really cool. So what was it that all these heroes of the faith that he mentioned? I think every one of them. Had in common. Aside from Yeshua. <clears throat> what was his secondary point? Besides they did not receive the promise? Yes. Okay. That secondary point. That underlying thing that most people would in for reading overlook that I want us to dig on. What what was it that was in common? The, that's the correct answer, but not a full answer. What was it they had? Tell me about Rahab. Off the top of my head, I'd have to read that. Well, pop up Hebrews 11, think what it says about Rahab. Isaac, what's it say about Rahab? Joshua Krieger says, offering that they had all sinned. I don't think it says that. It may imply it, but I don't think it says that, Josh. But you're close. You're close. Rahab's in verse 31. What does it say about Rahab? I can share. Someone else can read. 
31. What's it say? Go ahead. You got that. Uh, what is it? King James there? <laughs> no, no. It's... Yeah, it's no, no. It's black cover with nothing on it. Okay, go ahead. What do you got, bud? By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient. Because she didn't die. Because she had... Given because a... what? Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Oh. She gave a friendly welcome to the spies. What did uh, Abel do? Offering uh, sheep. He, he did a minka sacrifice that was acceptable. But Cain gave an offering. Of Where was John here? Offering? Yeah. What? Did Noah do something? He offered safe passage to the promised land. That's clever. What does it say he did? That's nice. That's great. Yeah, I'm going to put that in a book. A little plaque. What's unique about every single person he names? They all did things. They did something. You said they had faith. Yes. I know they had faith. How do I know they had faith? Every stinking person did something that was motivated by their faith. Mm-hmm. Why are you here? Man, there's a lot of clarity in this chapter. Because you have faith. Why would you be here unless you had faith? Or you're trying to step to your father, huh? It's because you have faith. We're doing stuff. Faith has action behind it. It's not what we say. It's not what we think. It's what we do. And this chapter blows that out big time. I, I could say everyone, but I haven't drilled down to check the box on everyone. But I think every single person is named because of what they did. By faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did this. And, oh, well, you know, even though this was really, really, really bad, by faith, so-and-so did this. What did Rahab do? Well, friendly, she welcomed, welcomed the spies. Yeah. Abraham left his family. <coughs> you just, they all did something. That's so important. Yeah. You think James wrote this chapter? It's possible. You know? Because uh, months ago he told us. Yeah, that's right. Faith without works <laughs> is dead. There's got to be something there. So, what's what's common? That faith motivates action. And if it doesn't, if if there's nothing that can demonstrate the faith, if there's no, let's call it evidence of the faith, then quite frankly, there is no faith. Perfect example is the Passover. I mean, if they wouldn't, would have believed that the Holy One was going to kill them, but didn't take the action to prevent that from happening. If, if you didn't then, put blood right. on the doorpost and the lintel, you would die. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Right. You had to take that action. And then chapter 12 basically carries into that the idea of this is what you should do. So I've seen all the things that people did. Yeah. And then chapter 12, he talks about 
the holiness that you should strive to obtain. Um, and it's interesting that he, uh, the book of Hebrews is just dripping with uh, references to the Tanakh, no. most of which are, are, um, are very, uh, um, some of them which are very clear and some of which are, are so. subtle. He's got, in chapter 11, I think he has two different references to Jewish Midrash. Yeah. Um, in chapter 12, one, one verse I like to bring up a lot because it's oftentimes misunderstood in the church, but it's a straight quote, practically, from um, the book of Deuteronomy. Verse 15 is to see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Um, he then goes on to say that no one become like Esau. And what's interesting is the root of bitterness is a quote from Deuteronomy, which is talking about the type of person among the community who says to himself, I can do whatever I want. I'm going to get away with it. God can't touch me. And God makes it very clear that person is a root of bitterness, and he's going to personally, <laughs> personally he's take care of him. Distract himself from his, his, uh, his own work and stuff and deal with this person. Something like, I will, I will direct my eye. Yeah, yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's very, like, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Yeah. Um, and the, but the point that's interesting is verses 15 through 17 when um, he contrasts the Hall of Faith in chapter 11 with, you know, the Hall of Losers here. Um, both of these individuals, the Root of Bitterness character and Esau, were people who were in the community. Yeah. These weren't, these weren't, this wasn't, uh, you know, some, this wasn't, this wasn't Haman. Or a convert. Well, yeah, it wasn't a convert <laughs> either. But I mean, both of these, it's the Root of Bitterness character is from Deuteronomy is a member of Israel. The uh, Esau was a son of Isaac, right. and yet they threw it all away because of their sin. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that he's kind of going for. It's a, it's a similar message that we get in Galatians, where Paul is balancing this uh, exhortation. Number one, don't give up on Yeshua. Don't abandon him for you know the, the this sort of fake Judaism that they're throwing at you, in which they say you have to convert and whatever yeah. else. In the book of Hebrews, it's walk away from Yeshua so that you can stay in the temple system. Sure. But on the flip side, don't say, well, that's it. I don't care about any of it. I'm just going to walk away from everything and do whatever I want and just try to make me happy. Look out for number one. So Paul in Galatians, see at the end, he goes to chapter six, talking, uh, chapter 5 and 6, talking about hey, the fruits of the Spirit and all of that. Hebrews is kind of taking the same tact here, where it's saying, okay, it's not enough just to... So on one hand, you may be tempted to go walk away from Yeshua, but still trying to stay in a faith system. But the other hand is you may just feel like, I'm so frustrated and I'm just so overwhelmed, I can't do any of it anymore. And the scary thing is, it's not a hypothetical. I've watched people do that, mm -hmm. where they, they went one direction and then they got pulled away into away from Yeshua. And then they decided, you know what, I can't do any of it, I'm doing nothing. Right. Yeah, it's sad. So, what you should get, I think, from chapter 11 is that there are, there's a great collide of witnesses that go before us and are examples for us, and that they stepped out of the box and did stuff that was not normal, common, accepted, politically correct, whatever the case might be. And chapter 12 
is that sucker punch of, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. And as he, as the further he gets along, you know, um, he's he's trying to grab us and pull us in. They could not endure the order that was given. It was so terrifying. But but you come to something even better than the mountain that they came to. You come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And we go back to where was Yeshua's sacrifice made? Was it in the tabernacle that Moses built? Not a chance. Sacrifice a human being in there? <laughs> Whoa, talk about a way to violate the Torah. Let alone the Messiah. Holy cow, yeah. Different tabernacle, different sacrificial system, different priesthood, different place. And that's what he's saying. Guys, you come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, verse 23 of chapter 12, and to the assembly of the firstborn. I think that is the greatest description I've ever heard of the church. The assembly of the firstborn. I think I like that. Hmm. Who's the firstborn of God? There are two. Yeah. See? Eyebrows went down. Who's the firstborn of God? There are two. And the Bible describes both of them as if there's only one. Who's one of them? Yeshua. Thank you. Who's the second one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're all believers. Nice. <laughs> Who's the second one? Who does God say is his firstborn? Yeah, Israel. So we've got a person and we've got a nation. We've got a nation and we've got the quintessential representation of that nation. So it's really his firstborn looks like this guy is represented by these folks and Israel can't be just those born Jewish. We've already seen that. It includes those who by faith have accepted this firstborn of God. Abel and Rahab. Abel. Yeah. Noah. Enoch. David. Solomon didn't make the cut. I don't know about that. <laughs> to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Enrolled, meaning you're written in some kind of book. We're getting to that shortly. Stone. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous, made complete or perfect. And to Yeshua, the mediator of a new, better covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Why does he talk about the blood of Abel? You see that he's comparing him to Yeshua. Why? What's what's the comparison? Talking blood. Talking blood. Good. Talking blood of. So God came. Murdered. Talking blood of. Innocent. A righteous man. That was murdered. That was murdered, unjustly. That's what we started with. 
That's what finished it. Right? Okay. Cool. I also love this passage because it he kind of he sets you up again, and it's so funny because <laughs> now you're seeing the sucker punches. Unfortunately, so <laughs> many people stop in verse twenty four. So he starts off by saying, "You've not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom." And this piece is Sinai, right? Giving right. the Torah, right? Which is what we're counting up to right now, absolutely. With the counting of the Torah, yep. So then he says, days. "But instead, you've come to Mount Zion, heavenly Jerusalem, and so forth." And and you almost expect him to say, "And you can run up and give that big loving God a huge hug because he's your Abba." That's right. Instead, what he says is, "See that you do not refuse him who is speaking." For if they did not escape when they refused him and warned him on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And then he proceeds to continue on and well, finishes with... That, that, I, mean, it, I mean, really, to your point, that's an amazing warning. Right. Right? So the whole book, we're trying to make sure that everybody understands, would you, uh, would you make sacrifice now at the temple if they built a new one? Absolutely. Don't you think Jesus was enough? Yes. Sure. <laughs> I'm why, sorry. I'm sorry. Why are we talking about Jesus? I thought we were talking about animal, animal <laughs> sacrifice and drawing near to the physical presence of God. I didn't realize. Why that did you bring the exclusive? Yeah. <laughs> why did you bring the master into this? <clears throat> well, he was the ultimate sacrifice. We already know that. Really? <laughs> he was the ultimate sacrifice. So if I had a Bible, that like equal him. The Bible actually didn't say he was the ultimate sacrifice. It's two different systems. Why are you mixing apples and oranges? But the sucker punch here is that the writer of Hebrews takes us out of the physical tabernacle that the only one we can deal with right now. You know, you know we're reading this week with Kedoshim uh, and Achremot about you know Yom Kippur and entering in once a year, blah blah. Well, he did that chapters ago. But the whole idea is that you would understand there's two tabernacle oat. There's two tabernacles. There's two priesthoods. There's two places. And we're dealing with the one down here. Yeshua dealt with the one up there. And it's better. And it's a whole lot better. But the beauty of it is right here, as you pointed out, he's putting us up there. And he said, hey, you got mad with these guys. But that was down here. So now he says, much less if we escape, if we reject him who warns from heaven. If they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if, if he warns from heaven? He's talking about actually up there. It's like if if we're raising the stakes or raising the significance by pointing to the better, then that also raises our the level of punishment and, and responsibility punishment. That's right. on us. Yeah, bam. Um, and it ends, I mean this verse, this chapter ends with for our God is a consuming fire. And it's just so amazing that um, you know, people have the audacity to say somehow that well, the God of the Torah was a mean God. Oh, the God yeah, the old he didn't have grace. Oh, now he's a God of love. And it's like, actually, Hebrews chapter 12 implies that he's a whole lot scarier now than he was then. Because we're dealing with scarier things. More significant things. He's revealed more. And therefore, we're responsible for more. I, I, 
I, you know, I'm, I'm all about it's a letter. The chapters are fake, if you will. But I, I don't know if you've done the chapter 12 to chapter 13 movement here. Can I ask a question real fast? Oh, yeah, please. So, in 26, um, second half of that says, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Uh, and that indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Yeah. What do they mean, but also the heavens? Picture a... Uh, picture it this way. When that mountain shook... The only reason that mountain shook is because it was made. It was physical. Did the tabernacle in heaven that he made his sacrifice in shake, quiver, or move? No. The mountain shook because God came down and was on top of it. And, and God is making it clear, coming up, He's going to shake the world and clean it out. But up there is not going to be shaken at all. Because that's the real stuff. This has just been made. And he can shake it up. And we read in Revelation about some of that shaking. As we open these seals, these trumpets, these bowls, he is shaking the earth. And he's shaking it up and he is making it clear. Are you kidding? Are you shaking your fist at me? Worm. That kind of deal. I think that's where he's coming from. Does that make sense? I mean, you but see, he says also the heavens, though. I mean, you see in Revelation that temple in heaven shakes, but the um, this reference here we see at the end of the book, we're going to get to it. Eventually, mm-hmm. um, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Exactly. And um, so I think what he's trying to say here is he, he's escalating it. So he's like, before he shook the earth, now he's promised to shake the heavens because it's like, so, in other words, like, like to escalate it, like, whoa, like as awesome and terrifying as God was at Sinai, you don't even want to begin to believe how incredible it's going to be later. And then he finishes by saying, he says, yet once more I will shake the heavens, not only the earth, but also the heavens. The once more implication is it's the last time. Right. And then so his point then is in order that things that can't be shaken they remain. <clears throat> things that cannot be shaken apparently stretches beyond earth and heaven. That's a mind blowing concept. Sure. But the idea being that he's he's well, trying to say himself. Right. But then he's gonna he's Would gonna take us with son? him um, and then put, place us kinda like in the garden, I yeah. guess. Back so, into the new So just, just to kind of finish the the the, the play here, um, we haven't got into the eschatology thing, and, and I don't want to uh, completely. Uh, now we'll we'll do that in the future, but suffice it to say, do you believe that that Messiah will reign for a thousand years? Yes. Okay. So what? happens to cause him to return. A lot of bad things. 
<laughs> it is bad things, not good things. Right. Right? Right? Um, but those bad things come after good things. So a lot of people think, oh, there's going to be World War Three. That means God will come back. Um, actually, he comes back when there's a peace treaty. When Israel makes a peace treaty with the Antichrist, that starts the top clock ticking. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, and at some point, the Antichrist, or the Anti-Torah man, uh, makes it clear that he was just faking. So in a seven-year period, halfway, he breaks the treaty, he stops the sacrifices, and he starts to uh, kill and try to kill the believers. The Word of God says that unless those days, those days being the days when the anti-Messiah is killing the believers, unless those days were cut short, cut a bottle, amputated, something is shorter than it was intended to be, unless those days might be cut short, there would no flesh be saved. All the saved people would be killed. And that's when Messiah returns. What is it that causes this whole anti-Messiah person to rise up? How is it that there is such a change in the world that someone with such spiritual power can do some of the miracles and amazing things to deceive, if possible, even the elect. At some point in heaven, there was a shaking and one-third of the angels fall. Mm -hmm. And Lucifer leads them in a rebellion. The timing of that is still curious to me. Yeah. But I think we've got an explanation for the shaking in heaven. Um, so, as long as we understand there's two different realms here. Right. We're sitting in one. We believe in the other one. Mm-hmm. And that the other one will come down, as Joshua said, a new heaven and a new earth. And this is the world to come as we are returned, as it were, to the garden and we would walk with God. Somewhere in between that, we are shaken big time and he actually shakes up there too. And potentially, that's potentially when those angels fall. I don't know if Hmm. that's true. But at least it gives you a concept of how this all could work. Not saying my sequencing is correct. You got to worry about those Nephilim and where they came from, and sons of God and daughters of men, and the whole Noah thing and all that. But is that helps? Yeah. All right. You're going to get on the amazing transition from chapter twelve. Yeah. God, our God, our God is an awesome God who reigns. Yeah. Our God is consuming fire. Not very loving and huggable. He is very loving, but not very huggable. Right. (laughs) For our God is a consuming fire, period. Let brotherly love continue. (laughs) I'm just not seeing the segue there, you know? But see, if you started in verse 28, 
then I think that you get to what we're getting at. Yeah, if we're going to talk about the gratefulness and the fact that we're going to live through all hell and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's more than that, though. It says, let, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. In other words, is if you think about so the, 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 the ten words, the ten commandments, are, are kind of split in half. Half yeah. deal with God, half deal with man. people. I get so, it. Chapter 12 ends with him saying, you have a responsibility. You and should be afraid of not keeping your responsibility. And here's our responsibility. And here's our responsibility. I get it. Let brotherly love, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. One of my favorite verses. How does that work? I can think of one guy who did that. There were three. Yeah. Abraham. Count unaware was he? Well, that's true. But maybe at, at so first he might have been aware. So I'll tell you a quick story. Don't repeat it. Wait. You are being recorded. Right. <laughs> Just keep it amongst yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so we had an old station wagon. It's got the wood grain side panel. Mm -hmm. It was on its last leg. I got two kids in the car. They're teeny weeny. One's really teeny and one's really weeny. Alan's driving. He's coming down to Independence, heading home. She gets almost to the light at Crown Point, which, if you've driven that way, you know that you're coming down and then you're uphill. going uphill to oh, the light. Yeah. And you stop right there, and then you got to keep going uphill to the Tesla dealership. dealership, and then you start going down. And uh, just as she got to the bottom of the hill and is about to come up, the car stopped right. She wasn't out of gas. The car died. car pulls up behind her. As you might expect, it's independence. Hello. Even 30 two, years ago, there were yeah. a few cars, but... Two women get out of a car behind her. Women. They come to the door. Can we help you? I've got my kids in the car seat here, and, and the car just won't run, and all that. Well, We'll push you to the gas station. Or we'll push you to the side of the road. And two women pushed that station wagon uphill so that Alan could make a right on Sutter's Road North and pull over there and call for assistance. Uphill. Two women. As soon as they got her to the side of the room, she got out of the car to say thank you, and they were not there. I'm not making this up. I'm not embellishing it. You can ask my wife. To this day, she will look you dead in the eye, and she will tell you, I have absolutely no explanation other than that they were angels sent by my father. 
I'd say in my own life. What? Because I, I was up to it. tell one? Go ahead. So I was learning to ride my motorcycle. And I wasn't too good on the curves yet when it gets into a tight, mm. tight curve. Mm. You're supposed to actually turn your steering with your handlebars the wrong way to drop lower and pull through the, the corner. So I'm down in the Waxhaw area, coming around this really sharp curve, and I'm just watching myself going towards the grass, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 and I don't know what to do. And I hit the grass, and the motorcycle just slides out of the road. I'm sliding down the road with it in this hairpin curve. So as soon as I'm stopped, like, oh, my gosh, i got to get out of the road. Two, and I'm in the middle of nowhere. Two kids in this big, like, cattle field climb over the fence and say, can we help you? I'm like, sure, thanks. And they help me lift up the motorcycle, get off the side of the road, and then they just say, see you later, and walk off. And so that's, I've always thought, because actually when I stopped, I thought, oh my gosh, I got to get out of the road so I don't get hit by somebody because nobody will be able to see me. Right. And how can I lift this motorcycle? <laughs> right. Praise God. So that was pretty neat. Unbelievable. I don't know if they were angels, but I've always I don't wondered. Either, but in words. <coughs> Who knows? But it is a fact, and I think the the author of this letter is trying to make it clear. Throughout chapter eleven and twelve that there are two realms and they do mix and you don't know when. I'll say it again. Two chapters talk about two realms and that they do mix and you don't know when. Let that sink in. When you get to Mount Sinai, you obviously know. You got, it says very clearly, God came down onto the top of the mountain and Moses went up to the top of the mountain. Heaven and earth touched at that point on that day or on those few days. There was a, a joining for a short time. He came down off the mountain. What did God say to Moses? You make that tabernacle. How? According to the one I showed you on the mountain. Try to make that tabernacle today with nothing but the scripture, especially King James. You're hosed. You are completely hosed. But if you had seen it, if you had seen what it looked like, it's angels embroidered over every single wall, all over the place. Well, he talks about myriad of angels, myriads. Moses stepped into and God came down out of a realm that does exist. It is real. But it's just not here. And we need to recognize that. And he's making it clear in this chapter. I've been talking about two realms, two places, two tabernacles. You've potentially seen some of my people. When you describe that, in my head I picture... <clears throat> a man who was faithful but how much more faithful after returning from the mountain mm. and how much more of a leader who is on fire for God's people and he's, for, he's for seen, God he's, he's seen, seen 
And for a leader to show such an example that when you've been there, to come down yeah. to see anything other than a love and a desire for Hashem, it would be tormenting. Yeah, I, I think after seeing what he saw, to come down, what an example of zeal for the love of his people, which after his experience, he repeatedly stood up on their behalf. And secondly, after seeing what he saw, to be described as the most humble man, to me, is almost additional proof that he saw what he saw. It's amazing. Um, he is the archetype, the prototype, the example, the shadow of Messiah Yeshua, who was in the presence of Master of the of God, and came down. Same, same kind of thing. What Moses did is exactly what Yeshua did. And it, it makes you understand even more so in the garden when he said, you know, I get, I, just, I get armies, army, major armies. I get all kinds of armies. It's wipe you out right now. Actually, I was in the garden. I was the pilot, right? You know, it's like you wouldn't have any power unless my father let you have it. You know, just speaking from a point of absolute knowledge, total certainty. Yeah. There was a tremendous amount in chapter thirteen about how our lives should reflect our faith. And I believe that to be consistent with the text, that's where he's going. I just told you about how much better Yeshua is. And then I told you about these people whose faith was demonstrated by their actions. Yours should be as well. And here's a chapter of different ways that you can express your faith in Messiah through your actions. Whether it's, it's little things like remembering your leaders or showing brotherly love, or it's something amazing, like having a clear conscience, hmm. or letting your marriage bed be undefiled, whatever it may be. We're about to move into 2 Timothy. You see in verse 23 of chapter 13 that uh, Timothy had just gotten out of prison. He'll be arrested again. Uh, but as he's gotten out of prison, Paul writes him another letter. We know this is 2 Timothy, and that's the, the letter we'll be moving into. We've got maybe four letters to go, four books to go, and we'll be done with the apostolic scriptures. So, What are your questions on, on Hebrews? Cool book? enjoy it. It's cool stuff. wasn't here for the whole study, but I'm glad I had to finish out this way. I think the, the past two or three um, 
audio things we've got online are, are some of the best classes we've ever had. I would strongly encourage you to listen to those. They're great. Alan's listened to them and she's like, wow. She, I've got such an understanding now of how my faith works and, and how the Bible works. And of course, yeah, those sacrifices that we would do if there was a temple, I would do them now because they don't have anything to do with the master's work. They're for a completely different purpose. So, yeah. Uh, I just saw this on uh, the page. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, this goes, this, this is talking about uh, Hebrews 11 um, and how with faith there we do there are great deeds and good works and all that mm-hmm. I just saw this in, in the next letter which is from James James uh, James 14 chapter 2 what good it is my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works can that faith save him it's interesting that, that it just totally yeah you know, that's where your dad was going you know it's just totally tied in with the yeah he was love podcast yeah. wanted to point that out yep so that's good stuff I gave you uh, four verses, four references here to uh, actually five. Um, Some of you chosen before the foundation of the world. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Which I, I don't know about you, but I noticed a pattern there. Thank you. Um, let's read through these real quick. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 34. Uh, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, or blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared to, for you from the foundation of the world. And my proof text here is that Yeshua's sacrifice well, Let's continue before I finish. Even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, Ephesians 1, 4. Hebrews 4, 3, For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works, Messiah's works, were finished from the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And one of my favorites, Revelation 7 8, the beast that you saw was and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction, and the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. We'll marvel to see the beast, because it was and is not, and is to come. So, this is ethereal, and you can disagree with me. When was Messiah's sacrifice in that tabernacle in heaven made? Option A. Sometime hours after the cross. Option B. As soon as Isaac 
was sacrificed on the altar by Abraham. Or possibly not sacrificed. Or came close to being sacrificed. And God provided the sacrifice. Or, option C. Before the foundation of the world. I think that it was outside of time and therefore it's throughout all time. So it would be for the foundation of the world, but also during all time. Yeah. Past, Past, present, future. I think that if it's outside time, it can't be inside time. So if it's outside time, then... So it's in the fullness of time. The higher dimension of time. If it's outside time, you can't put a time on it. And when was there no time? You're thinking before the creation? Before the foundation of the world. Because once you have something physical, it must, by definition, grow old. It has a, a birth. It has, it has time. But I think that width, depth, and height, by two directions, our perspective, time only goes in one direction. So we only perceive a half a dimension of time. But time goes in both directions. It's a whole... Well, I perceive time, time in two directions. I know that. So I know that yesterday I did this. So you could call that greater time. Well, I, I got past and future. But if he was outside time, then I just call it outside of time. But that works. Outside of our time. Did time start whenever he created the cycles, um, the stars for seasons, or did it start? which is a definition of time, a measure of decay, yes. resulting in the first sin. If there's, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say sin. If there's something physical, then it has age. So you're saying there's decay inside the garden. I'm saying well, that there's age. I think that Genesis 1, we get, there was evening and there was morning the first day. That's the first That's day. time. That's a time reference. That's time. So that's, that's what I'm saying. So it's, it predates even... Before right. the foundation yes, yeah. of the earth, yeah. yeah. But the, so, this creation, I believe, was created in the knowledge that it was going to fall. That's why the sun is a source of light for the earth, not the sun, which in the world to come, the sun will be the, the source of light for everything. I think that granted, this granted. creation was created to think knowing that, that there to was going to be... To think that God power. was hoodwinked and surprised by our <laughs> sin is... is the wrong God. That's a man-made God. My God is omniscient. My God is perfect. My God knows. So I'm not saying there was decay, but... Well, there, I know there was decay. There, there was, was age, which, there moves, age. which yeah. moves towards decay. Yeah, there so. had to be age. Whether it decayed or not, it's not relevant. There was age. How old is it? Well, there was evening and there was morning one day. Well, it's a day old. That means we're already counting time. But he was slain before the foundation of the earth. So, personally, and like I said, you can disagree with me, I think his sacrifice was made in that heavenly tabernacle before this even started. And we saw him die here. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, um, that's why he showed up through the previous annuals of history and it's going to show up in the future. Sure. He's just going through the motions at this point. Yeah. 
And it's hard for but us it, to conceive but it because does. we're defined by, by time. the laws yeah. that govern this universe. To the laws that God made. Op, the law of opposites. But the bottom line is dimensions. We know. Which is not measured. We know that Abel or Abel has a place in the world to come. Right. We know that Enoch does. We know that Noah does. Well, were they Christians? What's a Christian? What, what are we talking about here? Were they part of the assembly of the firstborn? But when you talk about him making that sacrifice before the world was even created, firstborn has a whole lot of gravitas at that point. I'm a member of the assembly of the firstborn. I just one of the later guys added to it. But there's a lot. There's a great cloud of witnesses that came before me, that came before you, that are watching. Yeah. What, what do we got? Anybody? I think uh, Hebrews 11 also helps make it easier to explain to what are we calling average Christians if we're trying to explain that uh, salvation was always available from the beginning we can refer to chapter 11 and it helps show that. It helps show that yes. the system that we're in started all the way at the beginning. Yeah. It's. Uh, They're going to ask, make the statement, well, then what was the point of the old covenant? Um, if his sacrifice well, already was. Well, wait, 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 wait. Somebody say, read the rest of Hebrews. Can't use the old covenant term without defining the old covenant. And if we're talking about the Torah, right? Then I think, you think we, the Torah is the old covenant. Well, to he says not not like covenant. the covenant that made with him at the mountain. Right. Do you think the covenant that he made with them at the mountain was the Torah? The Torah was the stipulations of God's of the covenant. covenant. It wasn't the covenant. Right. That's true. But because the Torah is going to be written on our heart, the same Torah, right, right. as part of the new covenant. So outside that as conditions that can be reapplied to future covenants but the um but the the purpose of the promises before are not annulled by the future promises in the same sense that like otherwise you could ask the same question like what was the point of god promising abraham the land of israel like why did it matter um if that wasn't where we're going to all end up and the point is that it was it's part of that journey, it's part of that experience that we were talking about earlier, the discipline of of sons as being part of God shaping us and making us who we're supposed to be. The experience of human history has been that. It's been an experience with God. And uh, the Jewish sages recognize that this is um, not just a waiting room. It's a uh, <coughs> it's a unique experience that has its own special blessings and benefits and experiences with God that we won't be, have in the world to come. You won't have to choose to do the right thing. But here you do. And, uh, and so in that sense, it's very, it's very necessary. It's like the, the offerings in the tabernacle are necessary. It's a different necessary as opposed to a, an ultimate necessary. Yeah. I agree. I, I like agree. It. I like it. <laughs> yeah. They play off each other. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to play the devil's advocate. 
Well, I, I think uh, I think there shouldn't be anything wrong with that, right? Because that's 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 what sharpens us is that we should be able to defend what we believe. Yeah, apologetics. Um, I think that uh, I said it last week and the week before. If you are a member of the old covenant, you will die in your sins. The simple as that. And if you are a member of the new covenant, then there is an expectation that your faith will be demonstrated, that the Torah is your guide, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, and I think we're proving that through this course, and that those who are faithful are going to be raised and will have a place in the world to come. When you say the outcome, meaning the stipulation that the blood of bulls and goats can atone for sin, is that what you're... That's not the old covenant. Okay. Oh, well, because the blood of bulls and goats could never right. so, forgive okay. sins. The you said if you member of the Old Testament, you'll die. I didn't say the Old Testament. I would not use a non-biblical term. The, the Old Testament or did... The Old Covenant. There was an Old Covenant because he may, he's making a New Covenant. That New Covenant will provide you a place in the world to come. The Old Covenant will not. Now, what is the Old Covenant? That's a different class. <sighs> Bless you, and I are God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us regarding the counting of the Omer. Today is 11 days, which are one week and four days of the Omer. The compassionate one, may he return for us the service of the temple to its place speedily in our days. Amen. Selah. Amen. Maranatha. Yeah, or Maranatha. I got faked out by that. I'll tell you about that sometime. Unbelievable. Thank you, Jonathan. I uh, appreciate your uh, your comments there, brother. Um, this will conclude uh, Hebrews. So um, I apologize for getting this uh, lesson to you late. But with my brother here and all that, it was uh, a little distracted. Um, Second Timothy. Wonderful book. Probably, uh, I think Precepts recommends that as the first book you study, isn't it? It's the easiest uh, precept study that you got, Second Timothy. Yeah. If you found an easy precept study, pass that one along. <laughs> That's good. Challenging in, That's a good, good. in a good way. But they good were for all you, very man. Good for you. All right. Yeah, so Second Timothy um, it should be fairly quick and easy. Read through that bad boy. And uh, I'll get the study guide out there within a day or two, and uh, we'll we'll blow through that again. We're we're looking forward about me. What uh, is it, what's my guide as I as I walk this new covenant faith walk? Is it the Torah? Is it a third party book? Maybe it's the Pirkei Avot. Maybe it's uh, we should be a part of the Talmud, right? Actually, that's a part of the Mishnah, right? Or is it uh, the Didache, you know, or something like that. So far, it appears that there's absolutely no reference to an external book other than the Torah. So and this is Paul Swan Song. Yeah, it's this is book. this is it. This is his last letter uh, to a young man that he befriended, circumcised, and took on as his son, and left him as an elder. 
that's some quick discipleship, I'd say. But yeah, um, right before Timothy gets imprisoned a second time, he gets this letter from Paul. And it's a, it's a good one. It really is. And again, some high-level, you-should-memorize-this passage kind of thing. So, You want to pray for us? You sure? I don't want to put you on. Lord, it's always a pleasure to come together with you and the men. And I just thank you for this time. I thank you for the wisdom that you bring out in us. And just fill us with your Holy Spirit for this week mm -hmm. until we meet again. Thank you, Lord. Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, man.